Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we've been promoting this episode quite a bit in previous episodes, uh, but I'm very excited to welcome onto the show the creators of Hardcore Game of Thrones, Jason Green and Alex Berg. Welcome. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm mildly caffeinated, and uh, and yeah, that's the, that's the big thing that's going on for me today. And I'm good, but recovering from a cold. So we are tip top, <laughs> tip top condition. <laughs> well, let me just thank you both right off the top for uh, taking two things that I love, and I think that's why other people are enjoying your show as well, uh, and putting them together in a way I would have never expected that I wanted so much. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. So I, uh, we- I, 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 oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, we obviously owe a huge debt of gratitude to both Dan Carlin and George R. R. Martin. Um, but, uh, you know, we're so, I guess we're sort of the girl talk of the fantasy history world. <laughs> so let me, uh, so we, we've explained the, the concept of your show uh, quite extensively throughout the previous episodes of Sword and Laser. But how would you describe the show? How did you come up with it? And, and what was the genesis of it? Um, basically... Uh, Jason was obsessed with hardcore history and got me obsessed with hardcore history. And then Jason was obsessed with A Song of Ice and Fire and got me obsessed with A Song of Ice and Fire um, completely independently of one another. Um, And then it just sort of became a thing. Uh, I have a little bit of an obsessive personality. And so when I started listening to hardcore history, it was like, oh, I'm not just listening to, you know, one or two episodes. I'm going back and listening to... The entire series from the very beginning and I just kind of got Dan Carlin's voice stuck in my head if that makes any sense mm-hmm. um, and like I loved it because it sounded like like Heath Ledger's Joker delivering like a, a history lecture um, and so we would just start doing the voice like just as bits either in talking about the latest episode or just for whatever else we were doing bits about that night and uh, it, it kind of grew from there Yeah, we were out on a walk uh, one night with our buddy Nick, and as Berg was saying, like, he would use the voice just to describe everyday things, like, there's a bird, or something like that. (laughs) Oh, man, if you had seen this This bird, bird guys, you would have loved it. (laughs) It was an amazing bird. (laughs) Oh, such a cool bird. Oh, it had wings and everything. Uh, So we see this bird, and it flies away. And um, and, uh, so Berg is doing the voice, and our buddy Nick says that we should do a, a fake podcast about Star Wars as Dan Carlin. And uh, we sort of laughed about it, but then we realized that it would actually work really well with A Song of Ice and Fire. And um, yeah, that was the genesis of it. So a lot of, a, a lot of our fans out there listen to Hardcore History, but for, for those of you in the audience who, who may not be familiar with it, it is Dan Carlin's absolutely phenomenal and completely in-depth, one of the most in-depth shows i think i've heard on any form of media uh whether it be tv or film i i love it so much i think he does 24 hours on world war one right yeah oh yeah no and and he spends months and months on each episode and the episodes are three hours long and like you guys are saying he has that incredibly distinctive 
meter and patter and way of constructing sentences uh, that is imminently imitable, I guess, uh, <laughs> but but also like uh, like perfect for what he does, which then I can see why that would make it perfect for presenting the history of Westeros, too. Yeah, they seem to dovetail really well together. Yeah, uh, I wish we could take credit for creating either one. We just kind of noticed <laughs> <laughs> how well those gears lined up. Yeah. So this is this is something that when I mentioned you guys were coming on the show that some of our viewers had questions about. They asked if Dan knew about the show and how he felt about it. And it was my understanding that he he has retweeted you in the past, or he he's kind of expressed his you know being impressed by what you've done. Is is that the case? There, it's it's definitely the case that Dan knows about the show um what his level of fandom of the show is is something that's very much like (laughs) everyone's kind of reading the tea leaves on we uh when we first launched it or or when the first couple episodes went up um we sent him an email being like uh hey man uh we made this thing it's a parody slash homage to you we wanted you to hear about it from us this is being done with nothing but love you know um and that sort of thing and we we got this email back from him that was like Oh, guys, like, this is so nice, but it sounds so much like my thing. People are going to get confused. Would you mind putting on a disclaimer? And he was, like, pretty cool about it. Um, but, like, it, it, like the two of us are so paranoid that he hates us that, that <laughs> yeah. we read that into it. But then we'd show the email to someone else, and they'd go, like, no, no, no. He's, like, totally giving you the green light, you know? And then there have been a couple times where he's retweeted something we've mentioned, you know, like, or, or where someone has mentioned us. And I think I think he has listened to it. And we also have a conspiracy theory that, like, we've heard certain fake Carlinisms we've used pop up in his show. But I think that's just us looking for patterns where they don't exist. <laughs> and, like, or possibly really... just being too good at it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we predicted Carlin. <laughs> but um, so we, we know he's aware of the show um, and, and we've reached out to him personally. But I don't know whether or not he likes it or if it's it would just have to be so weird hearing your voice come out of someone else's head using your words and cadence. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him if he didn't love it. Yeah. Also for 18 and a half hours, (laughs) it seems crazy. Like there's no way to paint it as anything, but like, uh, Obsessive. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it does. Feel, I could see him going like, "Well, these people want to wear my skin. Yeah. I guess I have to change my address." And you know, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. It'll all guys, be fine. A mutual friend. In, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tom. No, no. I was just going to say real quickly. A mutual friend of Veronica and ours uh, knows him and texted oh, really? him about this uh, after I played it for him. And and Dan acknowledged that yes, he doesn't listen to it regularly, but he has heard it, and and he he seems to yeah, he seems to be fine with it. Okay, good, cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll accept tolerance. Uh, well, that's, that's fine by us. Yeah, and the last thing we'd want is for him to think it was ever anything but an act of appreciation. So that's, yeah. uh, that's how I always describe it to people. I say it's a, a loving parody and yes. a, a yeah. lovingly crafted parody. And I think that that kind of sums it up really well um, because it, it, it's obvious you guys have great affection for him and the work that he's done. And I think that, I think that comes across. Oh, well, that's great. And we, and we, yeah, yeah. like oh thank god yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah seriously thank god and yeah I, I mean I, it is his his work is just incredible like after I heard um, Ghost of the Ostfront that changed how I looked at the world I mean that it, it is I think that's my favorite of a series yeah absolutely I, the, that is I think the whole thing where he starts with like you know uh, what is a monument you know like is so like just heavy yeah, and, like yeah. amazing and he wraps it back up it's so good it's so good yeah I, and I, 
I have a feeling that it, it, you're right. It would be weird to listen to someone mimicking you like that back to you. But Ben, if there is a Ben, probably is a big fan. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're oh, not yeah, sure Ben's if Ben exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a couple questions from our audience members, and this one kind of dives right into what we were just discussing. Uh, this comes from Fresno Bob, who says, Love hardcore history, so I'm absolutely stunned by how close you've nailed it. The voice cadence is perfect, but more surprising is the sentence structure, the asides, and the complete, quote, Carlinisms. How did you prep for that? Did you make a list of statements you knew you had to get in? Uh, you've nailed some of the obvious ones, such as, I'm not a historian, just a fan of history, and it's mind-boggling to consider. So what are your favorite Carlinisms? Are you working off HH transcripts and adapting to Game of Thrones? Uh, no, I mean, like, so the, the um, I think we went into it certainly with, like, things that we love when Dan Carlin says, you know, like, whenever he makes, like, a weird baseball or boxing analogy or, or that sort of a thing. But I think more so than any specific um, quote, uh, or, or any, there was like never a list we were working off of or anything. It was just Jason would write these scripts, which would be like, you know, 40 pages long or something. These insane. We recently did a word count on how long the scripts for the entirety of Hardcore Game of Thrones was, and it came out to 200,000 words, which is Whoa. absolutely insane. But so Jason would write these scripts, and then, um, you know, after Jason got this, like, 30 or 35-page script out, uh, most of the Carlinisms would be there, and then I would go away, and I would just, like, kind of read it out loud as I was writing it, and anything that didn't sound to me like Carlin could have said it, I would tweak until it did. So I think more so than any specific list, it was just kind of like I listened to Hardcore History obsessively for 18 months until I got the rhythm in my head, and then matched that rhythm against the words on the page and like a lot of the asides and stuff are written in like a lot of the mm -hmm. the the flubs and that sort of thing are written in like and some of them are improvised but the most of them written in i don't know jason got anything on that yeah i'd say it's just a mix of both of us like listen to so much dan carlin <laughs> that it became again no way to not sound like a crazy obsessed fan but um we listened to so much that it like through osmosis we sort of just um uh, I think you just sort of naturally pick that stuff up after you listen to enough of it yeah. and would rework it until uh, it sounded like Dan Carlin. Yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting because I've heard through the grapevine that he doesn't, he doesn't write scripts. He just has, he kind of goes off the top of his head or uses an outline. Do you have any yeah, idea of what too. his process is or, or I mean, clearly no mere mortal can just go do that off the top of their head. Yeah, Well, it's easier for him too, because everything he says is a Dan Carlinism by definition. <laughs> yeah, it's true. By, by definition, point. if it comes out of his mouth, it's a Carlinism. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my impression of what he does, and this is based on like a couple of photos he put up on Twitter of his home office is <laughs> hey man. getting a little more skin wary as we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah, photos yeah, he yeah, took. Yeah. Photos Anyways, he was in his underwear. It was a great photo shoot. Um, but I think and if you guys could see us, we're wearing Dan Carlin shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, uh, I think he literally, in the same way that we absorbed the rhythms of Carlin, I think he reads so many history books that he absorbs the rhythms of an event. And then he is able to regurgitate that event in a Carlin-y way, in the same way that we've been able to regurgitate A Song of Ice and Fire in a Carlin-y way. 
Um, but I think it's, I think he just loves it so much that he can see like the links between stuff and knows what, what is important context and what he can pass over. Yeah. I think he's got like a really unique way of looking at the world and he's also a, obviously a natural storyteller and those two things together when added with his insane speaking voice just result in a really engaging way of looking at history and talking about history. Yeah. Well, it ties into our next question from Mark, uh, who says he's listened to the first two episodes, really enjoyed them. The context you provide is really useful, he says. And he asked, do you rehearse each episode before recording or do you just dive in? I know you mentioned that you do read through the script out loud, but is, is that all there is? And then once you've got it ready, you just one take <laughs> for three hours? Uh, a shocking amount of what winds up being done is the first take of stuff. But, you know, I think by the time we, by the time any episode makes it to a recording booth, it's gone through Jason's initial pass at the script, which is where the bulk of everything gets written. Then it's gone through my pass on the script, which uh, normally is where, like, things get sort of smoothed out in a little bit finer detail just for speaking out loud and then Jason will do a third pass on the script to um, to further refine it. So by the time it by the time we get to a point where we're recording, it's already kind of written in the way it would be read after a couple of readings of it. Does that does that make sense? I feel like that's mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. accurate. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I completely agree. And also um, you know, Berg was so good at the... Uh, this is weird to say about someone whose face is inches from my... I'm going to touch your leg while you say it. It'll make it even weirder. Uh, but uh, Berg's... Um, George R. R. Carlin was so good that uh, by the time we got there, there was only... Uh, only one pass was necessary because he was just nailing it um, for page after page after page. And yeah, most of the rereads we would have to do would be because if, um, if I could get into the rhythm of it, we could go for five or six pages without without yeah. having a break. But if I broke the rhythm of it, I would get stuck in these little loops where I'd swear at myself. And so um, our buddy Mike, who recorded the whole thing, has probably a dozen hours on his computer of me going like, Tywin Lannister, fuck! Tywin, fuck, fuck! <laughs> you know, like that, just, just going back and forth. It would be the most impressive supercut ever put together if he still has them yeah it's it would it would be it's a lot there's a lot of swearing. those are bonus features for your uh for your audience <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i want those really want the behind the scenes yeah uh, <laughs> side question really quick how did you guys find the podcast originally so my a friend of mine uh peter who is my my husband's former business partner uh is a huge game of thrones fan and he found it and so he told my husband and then my husband told me and i could not believe that my husband who is not a huge fantasy fan but does love game of thrones discovered this before i did um so i was kind of peeved so you got and scooped so, you got scooped is what i happened. got totally scooped uh and then i just dug into it and it's it's the, the just the breadth of knowledge that you guys have about this stuff and and we'll we'll dig into more of that shortly. But it was uh, once once you start talking about it, it seems like everybody has heard about it or has listened to it at this point, and is just blown away by the production value. Um, from an audio nerd perspective, what is your recording setup like? What do you use? Oh, and, and oh you're gonna love this. Okay, we should, we should get Mike, who's sitting downstairs. But uh, our our buddy um, Michael Hughes uh, recorded the whole thing for us, and he's a musician and a sound engineer. And we would go to his apartment. And I would stand in his closet and we would hang blankets up all over the walls, like sound blankets. And Mike figured out what kind of microphone Carlin used. 
um, and got the same mic. Really? Yes. Oh, that was like oh, one of the smart. first things he did. Um, what microphone is that? I couldn't tell you. I don't know anything about it except that I would spit all over it during a recording session. It was Fair enough. <laughs> it, was, it was so much saliva. Um, and then literally I would just stand in a closet and like, you know, we would record five or six pages then come out and Mike would do tweaks and cuts and Jason would go through for rereads to see if there was anything where I messed up a fact or we got something wrong. And, um, and then I think Mike put the whole thing together in Pro Tools. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't remember what he did. Uh, Yeah. I have no idea. Um, Mike is just truly really good at his job too yeah. so I mean if it had been up to us to record it by ourselves it would have sounded like a brick so he's <laughs> like, he, he was like the would you consider him the he, so he was the editor and producer then yeah I'd say so yeah and also if it wasn't for Mike this would have never gotten done because you know we had we had like been doing this as a bit and then we started writing it um, I think we were originally trying to get it all done before the season the season premiere of season four Right. Right. And we started writing it and it just became so overwhelming that we kind of walked away from it. Um, and Mike was the one who just sent us a, 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 just bordering the line between passive aggressive and aggressive aggressive <laughs> uh, email where he, he just set up a Google calendar going like, get this done. Um, and so if it wasn't for Mike, we probably wouldn't have ever actually gotten around to it. And Mike's brother, Nick, is the one who... Uh, originally was like, you should do a Star Wars version of this. So really the Hughes brothers are responsible. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing was originally written for an audience of two. So <laughs> that the fact that it's made it outside of them is is kind of shocking. Well, that leads into uh, the question from Bill in Nokomis, uh, who points out the podcast of covered material up through book three, A Storm of Swords, and wants to know how long does it take you to write the script for your podcast seminar As and he then calls it. Them before release. Uh, in other words, when might we expect to see the next episode? Asks Bill in the tradition of hounding people associated with Game of Thrones and producing the next bit of content for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jason, I'm going to let you handle the... Oh, no, after you. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know because Jason would do the first pass on every episode, but I, it depended on what... Uh, was going on. Like, for instance, the entire podcast was delayed by two months because of the launch of the Apple Watch, and Jason went up to go edit videos for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it sort of depended on what was going on because this was the sort of thing we would have to squeeze in around everything else we were doing. Um, but I think on average an episode would take like six to eight weeks to write. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, it, it, it depended on the episode. Um, they, yeah, that's true. Uh, I think the first ones were the the shortest and they went by the fastest. But then as we got into the thick of it, it started taking, yeah, around four to six weeks per episode. And then somehow miraculously the final episode, which is the longest one of them all, we knocked out in, I think four or five weeks, right? Yeah. And Um, each one was about, I think they ended up being like 70 pages at the end. So like this is the longer that, (laughs) so here's a obvious fact, like uh, the longer they got, the longer they took to write. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a brilliant insight. Thank you. But, you know, what's funny about this is this sounds very similar to what Dan Carlin himself does as far as, like, taking a long time to produce episodes, taking longer between each episode as time goes on, and they get longer every time he puts them out. Like, you've brought the the homage to new levels there. Um, it, it was an unintentional format joke. And originally the final episode, originally episodes six, seven, and eight, which all told comprise eight hours of the podcast, we're all going to be one episode. 
And we, we thought it would be really funny to release an episode that was like five or six hours long. We didn't realize it would be as long as eight. But we thought it'd be really funny to release one super long episode to finish it off. And we emailed Howell and was like, what's the longest episode your platform can, can manage? Uh, we're thinking of releasing one that's six hours long. And they were like, no, you got it. You got to split it up. We can't. <laughs> It'll crash everything. <laughs> uh, unless you encoded it like 10 bits or something. Yeah. 10 yeah. bits per second. Yeah. There oh, was boy. also a period like um, 10 kilobits where on a very, very minor level, I empathized with George R. R. Martin when I started working on episode six, which is when all the kings all five are, kings, yeah. yeah. And it just, it became incredibly confusing about how to introduce each new character and how to make them relevant to the story. And it, at, it just kind of took over, that took a huge chunk of time writing and then rewriting, trying to make sure that it all flowed together. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that uh, he's talked about a little bit. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that makes me wonder, I mean, you guys haven't heard if he's listened to this, have you? No, no. Uh, we, I, when, when it first launched, I tried emailing him uh, through his website's like fan email thing. And after like three days, got back some weird like mailer demon thing being like, oh, try again. So I tried again and it crashed and I promptly gave up. So we don't know mm. if he's heard it. We don't know if Benny Off and Weiss have heard it. You know, it's we have we have no idea. I'm, we may be able to figure out on the George R. R. Martin side of things for you guys. Uh, well, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, don't, yeah. don't care. Don't want to know. I don't he's probably busy doing it. other stuff. I think he's um, more of a football guy. I think so. Yeah. Football and movies. Uh, Silvana wants to know, um, I wonder whether they used the materials from the world of Ice and Fire since it's like the closest history book we have on A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, in the first episode, the host mentioned about the known world only had two continents, so maybe the world of Ice and Fire isn't used yet? Yeah, that was, uh, I think what we refer to as a mistake. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's, there's uh, Westeros and Essos and then what, that one to the Sorothios. south, so, Sotheros or yeah. whatever? Yeah, um, Yeah. the book, uh, I got a World of Ice and Fire, I think, uh, when I, halfway through episode one? Or yeah. Something like that. So definitely we didn't have it at the very like, beginning. Yeah, yeah what, was, what is your source material? Yeah. Uh, I mean, other than the books, obviously. The, the wikis and the fan forums are so insanely well-managed and detailed that in addition to like, you know, pouring through the books um, and looking for like details here and there to piece together, there was also a lot of like, okay, well we needed to know how many people were at this battle and how many light horse there were. And a lot of times we wouldn't even use those details. We just needed it to make sure we were talking about it correctly. Um, And most of that stuff would be on the wiki somewhere. Yeah, the wiki was a big one. Yeah, the wiki and the forums were really, really great. So a, w- a wiki of ice and fire? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I think I was the most blown away by... <sighs> it's hard to explain, but I think Tywin Lannister being probably the most pivotal... Pivotal. <laughs> pivotal <laughs> character in, in, in the whole thing is was something that I kind of got from listening to hardcore Game of Thrones. And I don't think I would have really thought about that much from watching the show or even from reading the books until you guys kind of put it together for me. Um, is that is, is there anything else you kind of learned about the books or the show from, from doing your show? Uh, I, I think Jason probably learned less than I did since Jason's been reading the books since the mid-90s, uh, <laughs> roughly twice a year, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, for me, the Tywin thing was a, a big um, a big revelation. Like, I didn't really know anything about 
um, his relationship with Eris, and really the first three episodes, everything leading up to Robert's Rebellion was um, was kind of news for me in a, in a fun way. Like I had known bits and pieces of it there, but I, I had never really um, pieced it all together before. Um, and then also the other big uh, thing was finding out how much Edmure Tully basically lost yeah. the war for the North is <laughs> crushing. Yeah. You know, like it's that is that is so brutal. And I I learned um, I actually came to really respect like change my entire point of view on Stannis over the course of writing it. Mm. Like when I started it, I didn't really have I thought of him as kind of just like a, a strange, awkward dude. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of I'm really susceptible to. Uh, unreliable narrators. So there's that one chapter in the book where up at the wall, Donald Noy is talking about how the Baratheon brothers, and he's ranking them. And uh, he says that, you know, Robert is the true steel and Stannis is iron. And from that point, like, when I read that 15 years ago, that just, like, cemented itself in my head. as like, yep, okay, great. Robert's better than Stannis. Got it. And then writing this and just thinking about what Stannis was doing and why... I sort of came around to the idea of like, no, I think, I think Donald Noy was wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he bought into the Robert hype. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I came around on on Stannis a lot and started to really respect him and his decisions. Um, and then I think that Stannis chapter from The Winds of Winter was released at some point. Oh, I haven't read that yet. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. And it paints Stannis as like, for the first time, you're able to see him kind of like as a truly talented battle commander. Mm. It's awesome. Um, yeah, so that was the big one for me. Uh, oh, you know what else I didn't really know was all the ancient history of Valyria going into it, like how the Targaryens came to power and like how they, this like pastoral society wound up kind of inheriting dragons, you yeah. know, like that was all really fascinating too. That must have, we must have gotten a World of Ice and Fire then beforehand because that stuff is from a World of Ice and Fire. Anytime we, like, we reference Meister Garcia II, that's, right, that's Garcia yeah. Jr., mm. so he's in there. I, I really appreciate how you're able to, like Dan Carlin, look back at history through the veil of time and how you refer to Maester Martin and Maester Benioff, Benioff and Weiss in a way that they're not necessarily reliable narrators either, um, but you're kind of able to look at it at a, at a more macro level, and I, I find that really fascinating. So now you guys are the de facto truth in the world of ice and fire. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Power. Please, please don't do that to us. <laughs> um, but it is really fascinating, and I think it's... Um, I, I, I kind of remembered it watching the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, and and no spoilers, but there is a a bit where Arya is watching the uh, the the play about some of the things that had happened in the War of the Five Kings, and she, or actually before that, and you're able to see how the residents of of Westeros and and Bravos and all these different places perceive the events that are happening in their world through a different light because they are not actually seeing it as it's happening. They're getting trickle-down information. And so I think that's a good reminder, too, that even in this world, there are, as you mentioned, unreliable narrators. Yeah, it turns uh, out most of the narrators are pretty unreliable. <laughs> this is totally unrelated, but just... Um, I was in England earlier this year, and we were driving out to the coast through the countryside, and I started thinking about how weird it must have been to have just been... a common farmer or something back in the day and then to get rounded up for war and go off to fight and just really how you would have no idea what was going on like the larger global politics of what was motivating the battle to begin with would have you'd have no idea it would just be absurdly 
this random force of nature that you got swept up in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they really just kind of hand you a sword and go like, yeah, have fun. Yeah. yeah. Here you go, buddy. So, yeah, that was, uh, that's when I really started thinking about, like, I don't know, just how uh, people in Westeros must have perceived the, uh, the war. Yeah, and, and it ties right into the the most recent hardcore history where he's talking about people having to purchase their own armor yeah, and yeah, comparing yeah. it to the rich people who had the latest armor. And uh, yeah, so it, it's funny. If you listen to both your show and his, it actually gives you even more perspective on this, even though one of them is based on a fictional world. I think that's fascinating. That was one of the things we wanted to do originally when we started doing the series that I don't know if we really ever accomplished, but we wanted to... You know, part of what makes um, Dan Carlin's show so fun, Dan Carlin's show, Hardcore History, <laughs> fucking prick, uh, <laughs> you know, but part of what makes his show so fun is he'll go through and find these, like, firsthand accounts of people who were there, you know, and, and obviously uh, throughout the books we have some of that, but, like, originally we had the idea of, like, trying to find, like, journals from people involved in medieval or, like, you know, Greco-Roman warfare who had, you know, like, on the on the ground sort of discussions about what it was like to be hacked apart by a sword you know or whatever it is and i don't think we ever really got anything like that i think everything we pulled is from one of the books right yeah yeah so that was well, that dan was Carl- where we failed dan carlin's other show is common sense that he puts mm-hmm, out yeah. irregularly but about current events have you considered doing that for say as the tv shows come out or related to the book coming out if there's ever another book that comes out no, I think we're I think we're done with hardcore Game of Thrones. I think we yeah, <laughs> we, we summarized the War of the Five Kings and we're ready to turn the reins back over to to Dan Carlin. It's just it's uh it is so much work. <laughs> it's, it's so much work. It we, is a lot of work and it also we don't ever want to feel like uh Hey, we don't want the, this to feel like anything other than an homage. And if we started doing it regularly, I think it might start to wander outside of that. Yeah, I think if it's mm. like one thing that exists but is not like a constant like, oh, there's a new episode every now and then, I think then it's a little bit easier to be like, no, we want to do this thing. We did it. We walked away. Yeah. But, you know, there have been a couple people on Twitter and stuff going like, oh, you know, we want to hear hardcore Star Trek or, you know, hardcore, you know, Harry Potter. And it's like... Hey, great! Go make it. <laughs> you know, like we're we're set. You're like right. I mastered this one impression. I'm good. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. you're going to go sue them for for imitating an idea, right? No, 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 no. We're would take it. It's yours. Have fun. So you guys mentioned uh, Howell a little bit earlier in the broadcast. Uh, how do folks listen to the show? Where where do they get it? I know it's not uh, typically available on on traditional outlets like iTunes. It's uh, more complicated than you would think. <laughs> so um, you know the the easy version is um, you can find us on the Howell app, uh, which is available um, for both uh, iOS and Android in the App Store. Um, and if you go online to Howell.fm. Uh, you can also find us there and use promo code HGOT to get a month for free. Uh, in addition to that, um, there are the, the first three episodes are available outside of the paywall completely for free on SoundCloud in Earwolf's um, Earwolf Presents feed. Um, and those three episodes cover up through the end of Robert's Rebellion and everything that happens before the pilot episode of the HBO show. Um, and also, I guess, before the beginning of the books. Yeah. Um, so I'd say, like, you know, if you're if you're just looking to check it out and you're not really ready to take the plunge into the full 18 hours yet, you know, you can go to um, Earwolf Presents feed and 
I think we're episodes like 43 through 45 or something like that. Um, or if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, no, that's 100% for me, uh, go to Howl.fm and, and uh, the whole eight, eight episodes, the whole shebang will be there for you. Perfect. And what else are you guys working on? I mean, you, you, this is not your full-time job, obviously. You have other projects that you have in, in the can. Uh, what, what do you want to promote for the show? Um, gosh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I, right now, I've just been working on a couple things. Um, I'm working on a show for Blumhouse, which I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about, but in theory, there will be a fun improv show coming out that I'll be involved on um, sometime next year. Um, and a couple of other writing projects as well. We're currently kicking around the idea, and we're not sure whether or not we have the stamina to record it, of doing a, um, a Moby Dick audiobook um, under the guise that we've found Herman Melville's original unedited manuscript, um, and that his peevish British editors had changed every mention of the word penis to dick and every mention of the word semen to uh, sperm. Uh, so the new book would be titled Moby Penis, the Semen Whale, um, <laughs> which is an incredibly puerile joke that we would have to record 21 hours of audiobook <laughs> in order to execute. So we're, we're kind of still figuring out whether or not that's, that's going to be as much fun to do as Hardcore Game of Thrones was. Um, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what side that coin lands on. There's you guys don't go a, small. Uh, you don't go small, that's for uh, sure. <laughs> No, the the part of the part of the joke of hardcore Game of Thrones to us is just like no 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 like if we're doing this it has to be like hours and hours and hours and hours it can't just be it's like do it or don't do it you know what I mean like go big or go home yeah, um, yeah. it's Stuart a, uh, Brand humor people, <laughs> yeah, people yeah, who yeah, look exactly. really far into the future. <laughs> well, uh, Jason and Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Hardcore Game of Thrones is absolutely spectacular, as is Hardcore History. So you guys out there should definitely check out both shows. And uh, our show is, of course, currently funded entirely by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Uh, thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to support it, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. I've been telling you about... T- no, I'm not going to do that. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. You can get in touch with us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. The website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.